Welcome to another episode featured on iTunes, iHeart, Spotify, and other popular podcast channels. And now, your university professor, published author, and U.S. Army Airborne Ranger veteran, Dr. Aaron Bryant. The, the research that I pulled said two-thirds of those soldiers served in the infantry. So let me let me focus on that. You know, as I said, I was a ranger. To become a ranger, we go through a process of selection. Okay, and I'm give, talking to civilians or those who are not familiar how this works, but you enlist through your recruiter and there's no promises but they give you some sort of contract where they say hey this is what i want to do and if you if your score your asvab scores meet that you can have a chance for it but of course for rangers you literally have to go through school through school through school to continue to get to that point so there's no guarantee you have to graduate continuously through the training to get to that elite level but the very first thing you start in is infantry. That's your foundation. Learning how to shoot, move, communicate. That's the key. Learning how to, well, M16 for us, I have no idea what kind of weapon they had, a musket, I don't know. But literally, you're learning how to do the basics of combat. Now, our American Indians and Alaska Natives winning widespread praise for their bravery and achievement did not go unnoticed because two thirds, two thirds served in the infantry. That's a lot of people serving on the front lines. And because of that, the cost was high. That's the unfortunate thing. They said about 5% of American Indian combat soldiers were killed. And compared, the number may not seem high, like if you think about, say, Vietnam or World War II, where things were just really, really bad, Pearl Harbor, for instance, where the numbers are just catastrophic. But compared to the 1% of American forces overall, that's a lot of number. That's a lot of Native Americans who have lost their lives. That's a lot of Native Americans that lost their lives. Back in the States, they said some 10,000 American Indian women joined the Red Cross. They were donating their time, their money, and their clothing. Now, women were doing all sorts of things you know in the rear they went to work for the for the men when they were in you know out there on the front lines they went to the steel factories to continue um working on you know building the airplanes and the tanks they we have, we have all kinds of stories of that right um i mean even playing baseball when the men couldn't play baseball because they're in war i mean we got all kinds of stories of women stepping up but the thing is, we don't hear about the American Indian and Alaska Native women. We don't hear about that. In World War One, and forgive me, I'm going to do my best to pronounce some of these tribal names 
Um, but I think I got a good grasp of it throughout my readings. But the Choctaw and other American Indians, they were the ones who transmitted code messages by telephone in their tribal language. Now, you guys are probably familiar with this and seeing movies. There's quite a few movies out there. One of my favorite is with uh, Nicolas Cage, um, Wind Talkers. I think it was made in 2002. Great movie. I think I probably loved it more so because John Woo was a director. And you guys, if you're a movie enthusiast, you know, John Woo is all about the action. And so when talkers did not disappoint, but the message behind it was so powerful. I mean, in the World War One, it wasn't used extensively because the telephone squads were key in helping the U.S. win several battles at the end of the war, but they use it, but not to that level. However, during uh, World War II, we see an increase. A variety of American Indian languages were used to send those secret military messages, right? The Japanese were breaking our codes, our American codes, so let's, hey, let's try this again. And they were not able to break these codes. I mean, it was amazing how we were able to leverage the Native American people to communicate on the ground, through the ships, et cetera. Air support, land to sea support, quite impressive. American Indians enlisted in overwhelming numbers. And it was more impressive when they enlisted after Pearl Harbor in 1941. Now, what I take from this is that we have a history, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about the history, but we have a history of not treating our Native Americans very well. Now, we're talking basically, <laughs> as this country grew from the east to the west, and again, I'm not going to go into all the details, Buffalo soldiers and everything that existed, all of our colonies as it grew, um, the battles that took place between the Indians. I mean, it's it's a very, very sad story. But yet. The descendants of those Native American Indians. They continue to support this country just like in world war ii you know again the army they used american indian recruiters to help with the native language speakers and they continue to leverage them and continue to encourage them to enlist so we can be able to fight these battles the marine corps they recruited navajo cold talkers that's what they were called in 1942 and they actually established a code talking school. Now, the numbers is pretty astounding. 44,000, 44,000 of a total of American Indian population, 350,000 saw active duty. Did, did you hear me? 44,000 of a total American Indian population, 350,000 saw active duty. Now, that actually included 800 women. 
That's a lot. We're talking about brave women. Now, they did get their recognition, I'm proud to say. You know, for this service, there is documented that they earned a, at least 78 air medals, 34 distinguished flying crosses, 51 silver stars, 47 bronze stars, and there were five medals of honors that was given. Now, this is just during that time because the medal of honor number actually goes up. But this is just for that particular uh, um, conflict. Now, approximately 10,000 American Indian soldiers fought during the Korean War. I told you, I'm gonna take you down the timeline. We're starting from the revolution, we're going World War I, we're going World War II, now we're in 1950. I mean, we're in the Korean War. And you had 10,000 American Indian soldiers right there on the front lines. Me personally, when I think about all the conflicts, you know, I think about which one would I not want to be in out of all the ones I'm aware of, you know, minus what I actually was in. And I think about out of all those, I think I would not want to be in the Korean War. And I've been to Korea. I know how cold it is. I've seen the I've seen the 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 uh, the, the not just the data, but all read all the stories. We talk about the how high the snow was and how cold it was, the blistering cold, um, how so many soldiers got frostbite, lost their toes. I don't like cold. I'll take the humidity of Vietnam. I'll take the isolation of, of uh, World War II. Um, I'll take the heat in Afghanistan and Iraq. I mean, I, I'll, there's a lot I will take or have done. But Korea, nah, I'm good. But American Indians was right there, 10,000 of them. Speaking of Vietnam, 42,000, 42,000 of them served. You want to know something that's pretty astonishing about those 42,000 American Indians and Alaskan natives during Vietnam? Nine ninety nine zero ninety 90%, 90% of them were volunteers. Now, do you go think about that for a second? Was it Vietnam like during that the draft time? I mean, people are getting drafted, but yet American Indians volunteered. Now during the 60s, again, this is not that long ago, people. This is not that long ago. These people were not being treated well, and yet 90% of them volunteered. They say that approximately one of every four eligible American Indian people that served was compared to one of 12 in the general population. So American Indians is one out of every four, okay? Four, peop four people, four American Indians, one out of every four. Two out of every eight. You could do the numbers. But yet, for us, 
It's one out of every 12, two out of 24. So we're volunteering at a lot less numbers than they are. This is their country. They were here first. I get it. They're here to fight for their country. This is where their, their forefathers and, and their foremothers have died, bled on this dirt, on this ground. They still believe in this country. The land that we're on that was taken away from them, they're still fighting for this country that literally treated them, killed them, took away their land, and as I'm going to get into, continuously not support them as they would somebody else, other cultures, other nationalities. U.S. citizens. I, I, I don't honestly. I honestly don't even know how to frame this because I just I'm a little confused. Um, but again, that's probably above my pay scale. Since the Gulf War, the United States has been engaged in ongoing series of conflicts. Right? You guys know that we've we've had one thing after another. Um, I mean, I was a part of the Gulf War, and we've just ongoing, ongoing. I mean, we've had Iraq. We got we're still dealing with Afghanistan. It's it's been pretty intense. Um, our soldiers are being deployed two, three, four times over, which is insane. But that's a whole nother show. But American Indian men and women, they continue to this day, continue to serve in high numbers at home and abroad. They continue to serve, continue to lead the effort. According to the Department of Defense, they say that more than 24,000 of the 1.2 million active duty service members, okay, 24,000 of the 1.2 million active duty service members, 24,000 are American Indians, okay? That was as of 2010, as of 2010. Now, granted, my date, my data is a little outdated, um, you know, because it's identified over 150,000 American Indians and Alaska Natives are veterans. So we have, you know, I, I need to get more current date, but I mean, come on, seriously, even back then, look at the numbers. <laughs> A high percentage of Native Americans served after 9-11 than any other ethnicity than any other ethnicity after 9-11. Now you guys remember when those towers came down and when things got to some sort of, uh, when the anger started to, first the shock, then the anger, we saw this influx of people wanting to serve, right? Remember that. And I mean, even me who had literally was just transitioning, I was even put back on alert. And then it was, it's like the Native Americans leading the way. To date, to date, 27 American Indians have been awarded the Medal of Honor. Remember I told you that number was a lot higher. Well, that was then in World War II. Now we're here now to this current date, 27. Now here's where it's very impressive. 
Uh, you guys heard in my other podcast that I'm a part of a motorcycle club. They call the Buffalo Soldiers. We recognize the 9th and 10th Cavalry soldiers who were out there through pretty much every conflict the Native Americans were in. All right. So we're talking Revolutionary War. I mean, they've been a part of everything, even to the very current. We still have one or two, you know, that's been deactivated. But again, the Buffalo Soldiers have proven their value and bravery in many of our major conflicts of this country. We have 18 Medal of Honor winners. American Indians have 27. And I thought we had a lot. I actually thought we were leading the list, the Buffalo Soldiers, but nah. The American Indians have literally participated in every major U.S. military encounter from the Revolutionary War to today's Middle East conflicts. That means that culture of people have stood their ground supporting what they believed in. And you cannot tell me they don't communicate. Don't tell me they don't talk about this. This is a cultural thing. This is something of where you have a grandfather or a father who's talking to his grandson or son and discussing the importance of what they choose to do. At this day and age, right now, what I'm hearing from my neighbors is the opposite. I am usually the one that will tell a mother or a father who I hear is discouraging their child. I'm like, why? Why do you not want them to serve this country? Now, granted, I'm a biased because I'm a veteran, but I'm also not stupid. I'll support, I'm a, you know, again, I'm a professor, I'm a, I'm a published author, I'm an educator, all that. So I support education. I got plenty of letters behind my name. So if you got want to go to college, absolutely go to college. But if there's something in you that wants to serve your country, why not? It does not mean you're going to go to combat. That is inaccurate. Your ASVAB score could be so good, you end up becoming a JAG lawyer and never even seeing a, a weapon unless you're qualifying once a year, only because you have to maintain the status of being in the military. You may, you could be a dentist. Again, only going to see an M16 or an M4 when it's time to qualify once a year. So the, it, I, I get into this conversation a lot with people because I feel like their perception of the military is tainted. But yet we're seeing our Native Americans and Alaskan Natives leading the numbers continuously throughout history and yet as a country it appears that we're treating them like second and third class citizens and they have proven to be a reliable contributor to the battles of this country what does that say about us I hope you have been enjoying the show. Well, do not go anywhere just yet. We have a continuing episode with Dr. Bryant Speaks.